0: You are listening to Critical Mass, coast-to-coast radio show, a national business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Critical Mass radio show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard exclusively here on Internet radio station, octalkradio.net, spanning the globe with our message of the power of peer learning. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast time. Critical Mass Coast-to-Coast radio show is brought to you through a partnership of Critical Mass for Business with Renaissance Executive Forums, business owners, and select markets across North America. Renaissance Executive Forums is an international organization committed to helping members take their businesses to the next level. If you'd like to learn more about Executive Forums, visit their website, executiveforums, F-O-R-U-M-S dot This show is brought to you by our advertisers, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club, a member of Club Corp. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs running middle market firms, to improve your decision making skills. We have two guests today on Critical Mass Coast to Coast. And then at the end of the show, I have two audio clips that I want to play from a recent nonprofit event that I attended here in Southern California. It was VetNet, and it's put on by Working Wardrobes. And I have uh, two audio interviews that I want to share with you to talk about the VetNet organization. Our first guest is Sandy McDougall. Sandy is the owner and founder of Sandy's Plant. Sandy, welcome to the radio show. Thank you. Why don't we begin by asking you to share a little bit about your experience, kind of your path to your current business, and uh, how did you get there, Sandy?
2: Okay. I was a special education teacher, loving children and loving teaching, and ha- uh, just a chance encounter, a garden center owner in 1979, drove into our home and saw plants and told me if I would dig them and put them in cardboard containers, he'd pay me 50 cents apiece and in 1979 that was just a really good deal because i could grow and and pot a plant for approximately 15 cents using my children as labor and myself excellent and then eventually we got to growing more and more plants and There was not enough time to shine lights in the morning to dig the plants before school and to take them to market after school. And so I chose to develop the nursery and to not teach after 11 years. So
1: let's talk about Sandy's plants then. What is it today? Help our audience of CEOs of middle market companies to appreciate the business that you have built, Sandy.
2: Well, it has... Stretched to encompass approximately 35 acres. We grow, it's a farming operation. We grow 2,000 different varieties of perennials, grasses, herbs, and ground covers in containers outdoors. Uh, we now have six greenhouses where our staff and myself enjoy starting new plants from seeds or from cuttings so that we don't have to... That keeps our costs down when we can create our own new plants. But we still buy a lot of plants from Europe and from growers in the United States. We pride ourselves in having the newest cultivars on the market, and whenever possible we trial these cultivars in our gardens before we actually put them on the market so that we can attest the hardiness and the durability of the plants.
1: So Uh,
3: we have thirty five
2: golf carts. So when our wholesale customers come or people off the street, retail customers, they can get a golf cart and ride over the 35 acres and make plant choices. And we have nine trucks uh, which we use to deliver the plants in three states. But our trucks have to come back every night in order for us to make the transportation work.
1: I'm speaking with Sandy McDougall. She's the owner and founder of Sandy's Plants. And you're the first business owner who owns uh, a large-scale nursery that we've had on the uh, radio show. So I have to ask you, how much does weather and external factors play into how successful you are in any given year, Sandy?
2: Absolutely completely, because we are farmers. Weather is crucial. This particular year, it really impacted us on the East Coast because spring was unusually late. We have to do 75% of our sales from mid-March to mid-June, and we lost four to six weeks this year, which did have an impact financially. Fortunately, we're still we're almost into July and stay, sales are still good, but you know the risk of heat or drought or hail is constantly there, ever present. We do a lot to try to encourage fall sales, which in our area is an excellent time to plant, but that never, recoups losses from the spring because people are excited after a long winter to get into their gardens in the spring and not quite so enthusiastic in the fall unfortunately
1: (laughs) that makes perfect sense sandy mcdougall owner and founder of sandy plants is our first guest here on the critical mass radio show and i wanted to thank joe carey who is our business partner with renaissance executive forums in richmond virginia sandy for bringing you and your business to our attention we're going to take our first commercial break here on critical mass coast to coast radio show and when we come back i'm going to talk to sandy a little bit more about her family business i understand that your daughter is now the ceo of your business and your son-in-law is the cfo so for those of you that are running family businesses don't go anywhere because we're going to get some lessons learned from sandy mcdougall stay on we'll be right back
0: bank of california or cbc is a well-funded full-service bank located in the heart of orange county when it comes to safety and stability cbc has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top six percent in the nation commercial bank of california was founded in 2003 by a group of orange county's finest entrepreneurs To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willey of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we're a bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or Visit us on the web at www.comvancal.com. Member FDIC.
4: Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely, ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience That's Succession-Strategies.com.
5: Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture.
1: Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. Our radio show is brought to you in a partnership between Critical Mass for Business and our partners and friends at Renaissance Executive Forums. Today's show, our both guests are brought to you by Joe Carey, who is the Renaissance Executive Forums partner in the greater Richmond area. Our first guest is Sandy McDougall. Sandy, let's talk a little bit about what it's like now to have built a business that's large enough to be able to employ your family. but also uh, having your family in it. Can you give us a sense for what it's like to be the leader of a family business where your children are so prominent in the business?
2: It is a good feeling. They, My daughter was determined that she would not come into the business, but ended up changing her major the last year to get a degree in Hort. Met her husband in a ag economics class at Virginia Tech and they realized that I was making great money but didn't understand didn't understand anything about business nothing and they took that as a challenge and came and you know essentially the roles are separate the son-in-law is CFO And the daughter runs the day-to-day operations. The computer skills that they have and the computer processes that they've introduced let us have phenomenal information, which they analyze and make so much wiser decisions than I was ever able to make, just doing it by gut feeling. They have really changed it into an even more profitable operation, and definitely a better organized operation. Uh, I think it took, oh, it took years, two or three years for my daughter and I especially. I was used to being in control, and I wanted to control her, and she had a degree, and she didn't want to be controlled at 21 or 22 years old. Uh, So... You know, we had some sailing that was not completely smooth, <laughs> but we worked through that. And for the last 10 years, uh, I think we have been a perfect team. What is Our your role now that you have? We a... happy and, and we just enjoy working together. We eat lunch together every day,
3: uh-huh.
2: which kind of says how well we enjoy working together for common goals for the family and for the employees.
1: It is great to be able to not only have a successful business but to have a successful family business where your your children can be with you during the day and and you can sort of now let them take over. I imagine your daughter is CEO. I'm wondering what is the role that you play now Sandy in the business?
2: I am, well for one thing I have adult ADHD so I'm into everything, but they organize me. I make speeches all over the East Coast. I do some writing. I keep the three acres of display borders uh, going or intact. I work with customers. I do almost all of the sales, at least the person-to-person sales, Uh, a lot of phone contacts. But I get to flutter. That's what we call me, the plant guru. (laughs) Uh, I help landscapers select the right plants for the right location, love to do PowerPoint presentations. I live the perfect life. And actually, this summer, the 13-year-old grandson is working for us. He's trying to make enough money to pay for a year's subscription and have his own phone, he's not going to be allowed to get it unless he can pay in advance for a year.
1: Wow, that's, so that's family great. So
2: family-wise, it, it does work nicely to be able so, to offer grandchildren legitimate employment.
1: And teach them the value of money.
2: Yes, yes.
1: Uh, we have about three minutes left here on the Critical Bass Coast to Coast. We're talking with Sandy McDougall. She's the owner and founder of Sandy Plants in the greater Richmond area, I wanted to ask you about, from your perspective, the importance of supporting local businesses. I I know you have uh, opinions about that. I'd, I'd like to ask you to share those with our audience, if you would, today.
2: It is important to us that we only sell to independent garden centers, landscapers, architects, And to people off the street. We do not sell to big box companies. We help all of the botanical gardens financially and with educational opportunities. We have the display beds that are open to the public at all times. I guess being on call to answer questions for the public and for the the botanical gardens in the area and for the garden centers in the area. We're also careful, even though we sell retail here, we are careful to price our plants about a dollar more than our local retail customers charge. That way we're not in competition with the retail garden centers to whom we sell.
1: Why did you decide not to sell to the big box stores?
2: It it just, that's the way it evolved. We enjoy the more personal interaction. We just, our goal is not to get huge. 35 acres is where we want to remain. We want to, of course, become more efficient every day. But we want to have time for the employees and ourselves to have family life. And to want to come to work the next day. Uh, the season itself puts pressure on everybody for March, April, May, June. But it's a cycle that we expect. And we, we're just not interested in selling to big box companies. It's not the, the business model that we have chosen.
1: And, and I respect that decision, and I too believe buying locally is a good idea. I'm wondering here as we wrap up, Sandy, if you wouldn't be so kind as to let people know how they might be able to find out more about you and your firm, Sandy's Plants, uh, website, or how would you suggest they learn more about you if they're on their computer now listening to our interview?
2: Yes, we think we have an excellent website. It's www.sandysplants.com. Uh, very simple. We have approximately 2,000 cultivars and pictures on the website with the cultural information. But most important on that website is a section on the front page called Find the Right Plant. And you go to advanced search and any homeowner or anyone who's trying to find a plant to meet a specific need, as in sun, shade, wet, dry, butterfly attractors, whatever the conditions, you can check those options and get a consolidated list. We do not ship plants by mail except for the steppables, and we do ship steppables by FedEx all over the the east. Uh, But but other than that, our deliveries are made in our own trucks or people come to the nursery to pick up.
1: uh, You know, I'm on your website as you were describing it, and it just so happens my wife and I are looking to redo our garden to attract butterflies, and I've gotten value already in five minutes on your site with the wide selection of plants that your site's recommending that we consider here in Southern California. So, Sandy, I can't thank you enough for... uh, The business that you've created, the story that you've told, the website that you have, I I think it's fascinating. And I want to thank Joe Carey again for bringing you to our show's attention. And thank you for being so kind and gracious with your time today.
2: I have completely enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Our pleasure. Thank you, Sandy McDougall of Sandy Plants. Have a great day. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our second commercial break here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. And then another Sandra will be on the show, Sandra Lebowitz. She is the managing partner of Sustainable Design Consulting, LLC. And we'll be right back after these words from our sponsors.
6: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management.
7: If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO Peer Groups. CEO Peer Groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business.
1: Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Coast Coast Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and Sandra Lebowitz, managing partner at Sustainable Design and Consulting, is our second guest here on the program. I'd like to thank Joe Carey of Renaissance Executive Forums for bringing Sandra to our attention. I'd also like to thank those of you that listen to our radio show as a podcast. Over the past 30 days, you've downloaded over 13,000 copies of the show, and for that, we're truly thankful. All right, Sandra, welcome to Critical Mass Coast-to-Coast Radio Show.
3: Thanks very much, Rick. Happy to be here.
1: Let's talk a little bit about you, and then we'll talk about your firm. So what is your professional background? How did you get to be the managing partner at Sustainable Design and Consulting?
3: Right. Well, I started down what, in my world, is actually kind of a traditional path, which is to go to architecture school. And first I did an undergraduate, and that was followed by a graduate degree. But in between those two degrees, I sort of realized that I was an environmentalist at heart and was trying to make a connection between that and what I was studying. And I had kind of an aha moment of my own uh, back then as far as how buildings could help the environment. And so I basically decided that I was going to pursue an environmental career, but it was going to be one called green architecture. So I then proceeded on to graduate school, actually on your coast at the University of Oregon, and focused entirely on what you could call sustainable architecture, green architecture, et cetera. So that then translated into job opportunities that I got In the Washington, D.C. area, both with architecture firms and consulting firms, where I was the person focusing on green building research, green building standards, recommendations, and that sort of thing. And then I was able to start sustainable design consulting in 2002.
1: So you are a duck? Is that what I heard? You went to the University of Oregon? I'm a duck.
3: I'm a very proud duck. And I actually have a duck working for me here in Richmond, Virginia, which is very unusual.
1: (laughs) I I was going to make a joke that going to Oregon to learn green engineering is the perfect place to go since Oregon Mm -hmm. is so green.
3: (laughs) Right. Well, it's, you know, it's an environmental ethic to some extent within the profession. So then, in terms of myself, you know i really um have had a passion for green building education and green build and and just ba- basically greening everything i could get my hands on and you know the kinds of people that i've attracted to my firm over the years it's now been close to 12 years but the, those people are really differentiated by their passion but also by their depth of practical experience i have architects with 20 plus years experience i have people working um who have been doing design including sustainable design on the architecture side um for many years and they're also highly credentialed and that that combination i think really kind of sets us apart in terms of people knowing that they can trust the advice that we give
1: you know, I think that's really powerful, Sandra. We look for these teachable moments here on Critical Mass Coast to Coast radio show, and I think you just gave us one because if I understand what you said correctly is that your mission of being focused on green actually has attracted employees who share your passion for that,
3: for that purpose. absolutely correct. And,
1: and there's an author by the name of Simon Sinek who wrote a book on Start With Your Why, which is to talk mm. about why you do it, not what you do, and how that attracts not only customers but also employees and you're a living example of that
3: oh well great i'm happy to be one
1: good so let i know you focus on creating sustainable construction C- can you define in kind of today's terms what is green building design and construction
3: sure well think of it in terms of performance Uh, Any product needs to perform well, and a building, whether it be large or small or anywhere in between, needs to perform. So you're looking at a green building as one that performs well both for the environment as well as for its occupants, which are usually humans. We have a project uh, recently completed at the zoo where the uh, occupants are seals and sea lions, but usually we're talking about uh, supporting human health and activity. And so the areas in which we um, can see a a building perform well for the environment includes reducing its impact on the site, whether it be an urban site or what we'd call a greenfield site or somewhere in between on a suburban site, Um, reducing the impacts on site water as well as building water. Water is a very precious resource, and so we need to conserve it and maintain its quality. And a huge one is, of course, reducing energy consumption because buildings account for a large percentage of the energy used in this country and globally. Looking at materials that are um, acquired locally from local sources or at least within the region without having to be transported thousands of miles, if we can keep it to hundreds of miles or even within a hundred miles, that's a great regional or local product. And looking at all the various ways in which the building design and even construction can be healthier for the indoor environment. It can have better daylight quality, which has all kinds of positive impacts on human health. It can have good indoor air quality so that it reduces the use of toxic materials down to the minimum Um, in the building finishes and other materials, and it uses the right amount of fresh air so that the air that we're breathing is, is constantly replenished. Those are some of the kind of fundamental ideas that you would see addressed in a green building.
1: We're talking with Sandra Lebowitz. She is Managing Partner and Founder of Sustainable Design Consulting, LLC, brought to us today by Joe Carey of Renaissance Executive Forums in Richmond, Virginia. Sandra, I wonder, is there a price tag, a premium, that a builder will pay to build a green building in the fashion for which you spoke?
3: Yes and no. Uh, mostly no or or very little. There's... a uh uh, report or a study done uh, in back in 2003, uh, and an update to it from 2009 that surveyed a lot of green buildings that had attained a certain certification. That is the most widely used certification for green buildings, called LEED, which stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. So studying those buildings, it was found both originally and uh, reaffirmed in the more recent study with a bigger data set that the cost premium is only in the 0 to 2% of the total cost, total project cost, including construction and design, etc. cetera. Uh, that's not a whole lot. And what you'll hear from people who maybe have misunderstandings about green building is that, oh, well, it costs 20% more or 50% more. And I often have conversations with people about those kind of conceptions and have to ask as a follow-up question, where did you hear that? Because none of my projects cost that much. So the first cost is indeed, um, you know, what we're talking about here in terms of the investment. But what's really exciting is in the return, okay? And so green buildings save money in the long term in a variety of interesting ways. One of the most obvious ways would be reduced energy use. But let's not underestimate reduced water use because water costs are going up uh, and will be a a bigger concern in the future. Um, Reduced maintenance should be and usually is part of the equation for green buildings. But one that's even more exciting is the positive impact that green buildings have on human health and performance and so you can look at performance in a variety of ways and studies have been um, done over the years particularly over the last 20 years um, but really accelerating in the last couple of years about how do humans perform better in green buildings and for example in schools Green schools, uh, including those with really good daylight quality, have been found to improve student performance in terms of test scores. That's how you can measure that. In a retail environment, you can measure improved or increased human performance in the, in the form of sales. So those are dollar amounts that you can actually trace to the improved environment in a factory or uh, an office environment, productivity in terms of work output is another measurable um, result. And so all of those are really exciting uh, returns on the initial investment in some better systems, better design, better materials uh, for a green building.
1: I have to tell you, I assume that you're out on the speaking circuit talking about this as well to pre- professional associations, are you? A little bit, because, yeah. I'm sorry?
3: Yes, a little
1: bit. Okay, because I was going to say, if you're not, you need to be because you're very articulate and compelling in how you present the case. I had no idea it well, was such a you. small price premium uh, to, to build a building to lead specifications and as as green and kind of environmentally friendly as you've talked about we're going to we're going to take our next commercial break here on critical mass radio show our coast-to-coast edition which is in partnership with renaissance executive forums we're talking with sandra lebowitz she's managing partner managing principal excuse me at sustainable design and consulting after this break we're going to come back and i want to talk if i could a little bit about how this is moving into home building i know you do uh, commercial industrial but i'd like to get your experience for our Uh, CEOs of middle market companies about what you're seeing uh, as far as green design moving into more residential areas as well. So stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back after these words from our commercial sponsors.
6: There's something positive about the word up. When things are looking good, they're looking up. When someone's down, you cheer them up. So how do you move up? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up, Brandman University. Brandman is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. Brandman's online graduate programs in business and education also receive top honors. So look us up at brandman.edu. Brandman University, move up.
1: of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Sandra Liebowitz is our second guest here on the program today, and she's the managing principal at Sustainable Design and Consulting. Uh, I'd like to let you know that 98% of our audience are CEOs and business owners who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If you're interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on the radio show may just be the answer if you are interested in advertising on Critical Mass Radio Show and uh, would like to talk with our Vice President of Sales, her name is Rose Chamora, and she can be reached at area code 951-515-4661. Let me give it to you again, 951-515-4661. Okay, Sandra, it may be a little bit unfair to ask you about what you're seeing in the area of residential design as it relates to green design and engineering. But I was just curious, uh, can you share any experiences or an update on what's going on on the residential front?
3: Sure. Oh, there's lots going on. And let me also say that while my company primarily consults on what I would call commercial scale Buildings, and that's where that kind of zero to two percent um, cost premium figure comes from, is from that scale of buildings. That includes multifamily residential, which can be anything from dorms to uh, senior housing, um, condos, apartments, et cetera. So that's one aspect of housing, and of course, single-family homes are another aspect. Uh, there is definitely a rise in the new construction and renovation. Of green homes, um, there was a statistic just issued uh, last week, so I know it's got to be current. That there are now 150,000 lead certified—that's the standard that I mentioned earlier—lead certified homes in the U.S. And that I believe includes individual dwelling units within a multifamily structure as well as individual standalone homes. So there are many ways, actually, many paths for a home, especially new construction, a little bit easier than for renovation, um, to attain a level of green certification simply because there are dozens throughout the country of, of region-specific, regional um, green building programs. Portland has one. I'm sure there are several in California. Denver has one, et cetera. And, of course, we have uh, we have strong presence of that here in Virginia. So that's one way to help either home builders or uh, homeowners doing custom homes, how, whatever the arrangement may be, develop um, sort of a, a benchmark for how they're going to make their home green as compared to a conventional home that's just, let's say, built to code but not necessarily green. So there are a lot of ways – to um there are a lot of different paths to follow is what i'm trying to say
1: yeah and the reason why i asked you that sandra was that the um the benefits of lead designed commercial industrial buildings uh, uh, kind of felt so overwhelming i thought well why can't we get those benefits in our home especially for you know families raising children etc if if it's good for the worker it must be great for the family as well to have kind of that thoughtful design put into your homes as well. So I'm I'm glad.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I myself live in a 111-year-old historic row house here in Richmond, Virginia, that I did uh, get certified by our local program, Earthcraft Virginia, get it certified as a green renovation of a home. Uh, So certainly there are ways you can do that. But even if we leave aside the entire subject of certifications and rating systems and standards, there are simple things you can do as a homeowner or a home builder. You can use Energy Star-labeled appliances, saving both energy and water. You can uh, use a somewhat better, a more efficient Uh, Heating and cooling system, lots of options there. The technology is getting great. Use better windows. Use more insulation in the roof, in the walls, in the crawl space, etc. depending on your climate. You can save water using lower flow or lower flush plumbing fixtures. Uh, I know that's a very big issue in California, as it should be. So those are some ways that anyone can make green improvements either to their existing home or to a home they're planning to build. Using native landscaping is another idea because it's not all about the building. It's certainly important to consider the site and how runoff may remain on the site uh, instead of running off into the, the sewer system.
1: You know, Sandra, one of the things that I just recently came across are these variable speed furnaces That make a huge difference in your energy consumption when you compare them to the traditional forced air systems that are in so Mm -hmm. many homes. And so I've been just doing some early research about maybe upgrading my furnace to a variable speed furnace. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. I'm sure, that's that's one idea, and there are service providers specific to homes who can come in and do what's called an audit. Certainly, that's a much bigger scale endeavor in a commercial building, say an office building or a school building. We work on all all kinds of commercial buildings, but for someone's home, you can bring in an energy auditor for the home, and they will come in and look at visually inspect the equipment you have, the condition of the insulation, different things that they can see, and they will also do different kinds of testing, the most important one being called a blower door test, which is there to specifically identify where the leaks are and how leaky overall your home is so that they can give you recommendations as the homeowner of low-cost or even no-cost things that you can do. Uh, to improve especially the energy efficiency, but related to that, the water efficiency and the indoor air quality of your home.
1: I, I think these are amazing. Uh, I'm glad that it's moving so much more to the mainstream. To me, it seems like only the right way to do it is to build it with these considerations in mind. and I, and I'm so happy that there are evangelists like you who are <laughs> who are helping us to make this a mainstream. The accepted way, the practical way of constructing and designing buildings in the future and also helping people in their residences. If someone wants to learn more about you and Sustainable Design Consulting, how do they find you online, Sandra?
3: They can find me at www.sustainedesign.net.
1: I have to thank you so much for being a friend of the program, giving of your time. You're a part of the critical mass community. I was excited when Joe Carey suggested that you and your firm be a guest, and you've exceeded my expectations. Continued success, Sandra, and thank you for being on our program today.
3: Thank you very much, Rick. It was a pleasure. Have a good day. You too.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted to spend a few minutes here at the end of this version of the Critical Mass radio show series today sharing with you an experience that I had over the weekend. I was invited by Jerry Rosen, who is the executive director of Working Wardrobes, when she was in our studio earlier this year to attend one of their fundraising events, which is which was last weekend. Excuse me. It was for the part of the Working Wardrobes organization by the name of VetNet. And VetNet specifically focuses on bringing the skills of working wardrobes to returning veterans to help them, like working wardrobes helps other at-risk people, to find a good job. And I was blown away by the reception. It was on the USS Iowa. Uh, A number of dignitaries were there. If you haven't been, if you're in Southern California at the L.A. Harbor I would suggest you go to see the USS Iowa. It's an impressive battleship. And I have two interviews that I conducted while I was on the battleship. The first one we're going to hear is with Jerry Rosen, who is the executive director. So let's listen to that short interview, and then I'll be right back. Hi, this is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show at the VetNet A Night. And I'm talking with
8: Jerry Rosen, CEO of Working Wardrobes, and a happy, happy woman tonight, Rick.
1: Why is that, Jerry?
8: Well, we've got nearly 500 people who are coming on board the USS Iowa here to have a great time and to raise a lot of money for our VetNet program. How could I not be happy?
1: So tell me a little bit about the VetNet program for our audience.
8: Well, we call VetNet the safety net for veterans, and it is exactly that. It's an opportunity for us to find our veterans, bring them in, provide assessments, do an individual uh, employment plan, find the trainings and the skill set workshops that are important to them, get them ready, get them suited up, and then get them a job. And that's been the most magnificent work that we've done in a long time. We love it. And this year, we'll serve close to 500 veterans.
1: I wanted to ask you, how did you get started with this division of Working Wardrobes?
8: Well, we've actually been serving veterans for the past nine years, but we didn't do anything particularly different. Uh, and then, and then I met Harry Humphreys, and Harry is the change agent. And he said, "Jerry, we're not doing enough for veterans." And I said, "Well, okay, let's talk about that." And honestly, in a week and a half, that net was born, wow. and it has been remarkable. We're very, very proud of our relationship with Harry. His wife is. Sharing the event tonight so the whole family is involved yeah
1: well i appreciate you giving me a few minutes i know you're very busy this evening there are quite a lot of people what a beautiful venue thank you jerry
8: thank you so much for being here rick
1: all right that is jerry rosen you can just hear the enthusiasm in her voice she was also uh, a finalist for the orange county business journal's women in business awards in june so she was selected for her work that she's been doing for quite a while with working wardrobes she mentions harry humphreys and harry was the brainchild, if you will. Although you'll see, you'll hear in our interview, my interview with him that he kind of is a modest guy. But he uh, he brought the idea, and he is the executive director for the VetNet part of Working Wardrobes. So let's listen to the short interview that I did with Harry Humphreys from the VetNet Night. This is Rick Franzi with Critical Mass Radio Show. We're on the USS Battleship Iowa, and I'm here for Working Wardro- Wardrobes VetNet
9: Night, and I'm speaking with. Uh, Vice Admiral Joe Kernan, retired, U.S. Navy.
1: And why are you here tonight at the VetNet activity?
9: Well, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, Harry Humphreys called me. I actually just retired uh, about five months ago from the Navy. Uh, And since I've gotten out, I kind of committed myself to try and help veterans in some way, shape, or form. So uh, I'm currently employed by uh, SAP, National Security Services. But even in that organization, we try to focus on, on helping veterans. And so Harry gave me a call and asked if I'd be interested in, uh, you know, kind of being a part of the advisory board for this program. And then when I looked into it, um, it's a really extraordinary program. And the reason I say that is because obviously we have an enormous amount of veterans coming out of the, the military. Probably, uh, you know, probably 200,000 are going to come out over the next couple of years uh, just because of the drawdowns. And so those veterans are going to be needing employment. Uh, and some of those veterans, uh, you know, they're going to need some level of training, and they can't just translate everything that they've learned in the military into the civilian workforce. And so, this this particular uh, working wardrobes and VetNet, VetNet actually does what I think is the most important thing that we could be doing for veterans: actually talks to them, teaches them communication skills, teaches them about the civilian workforce, gives them a skill, and then finds them a job. And to me, it's everything about getting a job for a veteran so they, can, uh, so they can assimilate back into society, he can take care of himself, and he can certainly take care of his family.
1: I understand you're a speaker tonight. Simply, briefly, what is your message you're going to be delivering to the audience here tonight?
9: Well, I think, you know, two messages. Number one, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk about the VetNet program and how I think the model of the VetNet program is, is really exactly what veterans need coming out of the service. Uh, So I'll talk about that and talk about uh, the countless number of volunteers that help the organization to get veterans and help help transition them into the workforce. Uh, And secondly, I'm also going to honor Harry Humphreys, who's the executive director and the co-founder of VetNet. And uh, so he's a teammate. He and I uh, both did plenty of time in the SEAL community. And so it was an honor when his wife called and asked if I'd be willing to come out and uh, talk about Harry. And and so part of it, part of I'm here to honor him. Well, thank you for your time. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: Clearly, that was uh, retired Rear Admiral Joseph Kernan. He's he's a former Navy SEAL and quite a decorated uh, military professional who just retired last September and was the keynote speaker for the event and uh, has a long history with, with Harry. And so I just wanted to share with you a little bit about what's going on at the VetNet organization. It's a wonderful organization as an outgrowth of what the Outstanding work of working wardrobes has been over the years. So to Jerry Rosen, the entire staff, to the public relations professionals that helped guide me through the uh, evening's event, I want to thank everyone for making uh, us feel so comfortable from the Critical Mass Radio Show on the USS Iowa. And, uh, again, I hope that you will take a look at VetNet and working wardrobes. If you're interested in providing support to the organization, I would strongly encourage you to take a look. All right. I'd like to thank our engineer for today, Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Exactly. Our social media manager is Melissa Padani. Our marketing strategist is the none other than Asia Celestino. And our VP of sales is Rose Chamora. For those of you that are listening to us live today, don't miss our final Fridays this month live from Brandman University where we'll be talking about, is there an ROI on ethics in business? Until our next show, this is your host, Rick Franzi, saying I hope that all of your decisions will move your business in a positive direction.
0: You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show, business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi.